Hello, this is Steve. Welcome to the podcast. It's a warm and beautiful late afternoon on Friday, May 4th, 1973, in Bloomington, Indiana. Four guys, good friends, all seniors at Indiana University, head east out of town in a blue 1970 Pontiac Firebird. I'm in the right-hand rear seat. The last class of our last year of college is over. It's party time, and this weekend is going to be a blast. Big party tonight at a friend's house near Louisville, staying there all night and then spending all day tomorrow debauching in the infield of the Kentucky Derby with about 70,000 other young goofballs, almost all of whom will be drunk or stoned, and maybe we'll catch a glimpse of some horse named Secretariat. At Columbus, Indiana, we head south on I-65, turn on some good rock music, and pass around a joint of some really good weed. As the buzz takes hold, I gaze out the window at the sun getting lower in the sky to the west, above the beautiful low-rolling hills near Brown County State Park. I'm feeling really, really good. College memories float along in a parade, in and out of my mind. Lots of fun, lots of adventure, lots of craziness, lots of serious study and academic success too, but then more alcohol, marijuana, and raucous good times. And this weekend is the grand finale. I'm going to miss these guys. This is no time to be thinking about tomorrow. This is the time to forget about tomorrow and party. Okay, it's time to play some fun stoner mind games on my friends. I turn to the guy to my left and start making up a lewd story about a mutual friend, just to see if I can get him to believe it. I've done a lot of this type of thing while smoking dope with friends and always find it amusing. It amazes me how easy it is to just make up some outrageous lie and keep repeating it until someone believes it. I like how it makes me feel when they believe my lies. It makes me feel a little godlike, as if I can actually create reality through my imagination. In fact, I've been developing and honing my mind control methods since embarking on my drug-fueled vision quest for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about two and a half years ago. But tonight, I'm not searching for anything except a good time. This time, though, the guy surprises me. Huh? He snorts derisively. I'm taken aback by his reaction. Nobody's done that before. And now the driver responds. Steve always does that. I'm too astonished for words. My secret mind game has been exposed. They've known all along. Suddenly, I have a strong sense that there is a conscious entity behind me which is over my right shoulder and outside the moving car. But I can't turn my head to look because I'm staring in amazement at the guy to my left. The conscious entity behind me is granting me the ability to see my friend's very soul. There's a pale golden light shaped like a flattened ball in his upper chest and shining out of his body. The guy I was playing mind games on has a soul. At the very sight of my friend's soul, a thought pops into my mind that I've never had before. I'm not the only person in the world. As I sit here staring at my friend and wondering at this new revelation, a second thought occurs to me. There is an other That's the name that comes to me. I had read about the concept of the other in a book about Christianity. The other, with a capital O. The other, as in, not me. 
The other is in far, far above me in every way. And I know that it is the other who is the conscious entity behind me and outside and beyond the window of the moving car. I realize that I'm not stoned anymore. I've never been so clear-minded in my life. On the tape cassette, a new song starts playing. It's the Beatles' Let It Be. I've loved that song since the first time I heard it. It always makes me feel very spiritual. It is a holy song to me. I very, very slowly turn my head and look out the car window to the right. And what I see is not a body, but a mind, a consciousness. And his mind has lifted a veil in the sky in front of the setting sun. And he is standing before the sun. And when I say standing, I mean he is present there. Since what I see is not a body, but a consciousness. And his presence is a commanding presence and immediately captures my full attention. And he is in a spherical area between me and the setting sun where everything shimmers. And it seems that the sky and the hills and the trees are burning but not consumed. And the flashing rays of the sun are like notes on a sheet of music. And the music is playing in perfect time with every twinkle and flash of light through the trees, even though there is no time. And everything is alive and everything is conscious. And everything is connected and everything dances in a perfect ballet with everything else. And everything is one. And where the veil has been lifted to open up the sky, the mind of the other is present and composed and majestic and dignified and of immense power and glory and awesome and beautiful and honest and direct and patient and loving, above all loving. And I know all of this telepathically. And I know that the other has opened my mind and body and soul and that I am totally exposed to him and known by him and safe with him and that I may be the first to speak, that is, to speak without language or words, but simply by thinking the question, and I am not afraid, I have no fear at all. And so I ask my question, and my question is, are you God? I ask this question because I've been on a drug-fueled vision quest, seeking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I have practiced asking that question and imagining what it would be like to have the opportunity to ask it and believing I will get the opportunity and suddenly the opportunity is here and even though I right now I don't even remember I'm on a vision quest I asked the question and even though I have zero experience with telepathy I asked the question telepathically the other answers telepathically no you are not strong enough to look at God. I stand in front of God. Then, wordlessly, the other shows me my own soul, just as he had showed me the soul of my friend. I look down and see it. It is inside my upper chest, and it projects out, and I can see it. It is made of glowing golden light, shaped like a ball with a smooth surface. I feel that it is embryonic. And in its top middle front, I see it as a short tail, as embryos do. Apparently, its head is on the opposite side. The other now speaks for the first time. Your soul is coming along very nicely. Don't take any more drugs. Go out and become a good lawyer. When you are 32, you will have a decision to make. 
For two years, your life will flicker like a candle in the wind. For six years, you will get better and better, two years at a time. When you are 40, you will be happy. You will live to three score ten. Will I see you again? I asked because I want nothing more in all the world than to see the other again. If you make the wrong decision, you will not see me again. It will be like ashes. If you make the right decision, you will see me when you die. I think you'll make the right decision. And now the other withdraws back into heaven. The veil is lowered, the vision fades, the tape cassette starts playing a different song, The sky and the hills and the trees and the sun are familiar again, and I am stoned again, filled with the afterglow of my encounter with the other, but stoned again. As I've done with my drug-fueled vision quest, I tell absolutely no one of my vision of the other. I'm afraid they would think I'm crazy. The party is great, but I am preoccupied with trying to digest what has happened to me. I'm still filled with the afterglow, and I feel that contact with the other has filled me with spiritual power. Late this evening, I have a terrifying episode of irregular heartbeats that sends me into a panic. I've never had anything like this before. I figure the pot caused it. I vow to obey the other and never use drugs again. The next day at the Kentucky Derby, the infield madness lives up to its hype. I abstained from the drugs, but not the alcohol. The other didn't say anything about alcohol. I win a few dollars with a small bet on Secretariat, whom I'm able to glimpse a couple of times during the race. The infield at the Kentucky Derby is all about the debauchery, not the horse race. The next week, I shave off my beard and get a haircut. I don't want to look like a drug user anymore. I worked that summer as a deckhand on an iron ore boat in the Great Lakes. While the boat is unloading its cargo of iron ore in Lorraine, Ohio, I take a bus into Cleveland and check out one of two law schools to which I've been admitted. It looks okay, so I choose this one to attend in the fall. I leave the iron ore boat in early August to get ready for law school, but first I ride my motorcycle down to Bloomington to see the old gang. My buddies have all signed up for grad school there, and it will be just like old times. I've been missing my friends, and I want to see them. But I've been missing the other even more. I really, really, really want to see him again. Of course, I am fully aware of his warning that I would not see him again until I die, and then only if I make the right decision when I'm 32. But all of that seems very far off in the future. And after all, it was my drug-fueled vision quest that succeeded the first time. I take the joint and inhale deeply. We are driving around the outskirts of town and stop for a red light by a beautiful meadow full of flowers. And that's when I saw the passage of time. Time was flowing slowly up out of the earth. The future was rising up to meet me. It swirled and eddied as it passed around the stems of the wildflowers and flowed up into the sky. And I very distinctly understood the meaning of this vision. Time is precious and inexorable. Obey the warning of the other. I had foolishly required a second warning, and I might not get a third. 
I must never again do drugs, and I never have. I left Bloomington and went home to wrap up preparations for law school as a different person than I was before I saw the other. I had cleaned up my appearance, I was off drugs, because I now knew that I am not the only person in the world, I had developed an interest in being honest towards my fellow souls, and I was still filled with the spiritual power that had flowed from the other. What was the other's actual name? I had neglected to ask, and he had not told me. What was the decision that I would need to make at age 32? I had neglected to ask that, too. The two years of my life flickering like a candle in the wind, the possibility that I could die young, the six years of getting better and better, well, those were all ten years or more off in the future, and ten years seemed like a very long time. Living to three score ten, that seemed like a long time, and also I seem to remember hearing that the Bible said one might live longer by reason of strength, and at age 22 I felt very strong. I was full of life, full of energy, and ready to go out and conquer the world by becoming a good lawyer, as the other had instructed me to do. So off I went to Cleveland, riding the upwards flow of time into the future. Here is our simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your holy messenger to me. I wish that I had asked his name. Now, decades later, and with the benefit of a lot of experience, Bible reading, and hindsight, I believe that he was an angel. And I believe that based on a number of biblical passages dealing with encounters with angels, including the following three. The book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. The book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 11. And all of the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. The book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be a great man in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, 
thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Dear Heavenly Father, wilt thou protect and guide us all? In Jesus' name, amen.